0: Hello and welcome to Dear Franny, the podcast of uncommon conversations about love. I'm your host, Francesca Hoagie. Hi. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that wherever you are in the world, you are safe and healthy and your loved ones are as well. I know that's not the case for everyone. And I'm just sending you my love and well wishes from California. At this challenging time, it is more important than ever that we look out for each other. It's more important forever that we take good care of ourselves. I know that's not always easy, but consider this your reminder to really prioritize your self-care. And you know by doing that, you are able to support other people in your life as my last guest, Arlen Hamilton, very eloquently reminded us on the show. My guest today, and I'm really excited for you to hear this interview, is Veronica Grant. Veronica and I, we recorded this episode really at the start of the pandemic and right before lockdown. And so things have changed in that regard. And we talked about that a little bit at the beginning. But this is mostly a coronavirus free episode because we are talking about things that are big issues in our lives, regardless of what else is going on in the world, and that is the patterns that we have in our lives the beliefs that we have the wounds that we have and how to heal them so veronica and i'm going to read her bio in a moment but she is a coach and she focuses on healing the inner child as a way to really have the love that you are looking for in the world. And like I said, we recorded this episode at the start of the pandemic. And I don't know, three years ago, (laughs) just kidding. It was like five weeks ago, six weeks ago. And I just re-listened to the conversation this morning and as I was taking my walk around the neighborhood, getting a little fresh air, and I was like, oh my God, this is such an amazing conversation, and it would have been so, so helpful to me at so many points in my life, and I'm glad to be able to share it with you today. So Veronica Grant, in case you are not familiar with her, is a love and life coach and host of the popular Love Life Connection podcast. She helps successful women who feel like they have it all except love find it. Veronica's work has been featured in O Magazine, Bustle, Your Tango, and countless podcasts. As someone who struggled in love herself and was tired of unsolicited and usually patronizing dating advice, even if well-meaning, she created the resources she wished were available before she met her husband. Through her binge-worthy podcast, free challenges, and coaching, she helps her clients dig to the root of their dating patterns and frustrations so they can find love even in our swipe right, swipe left world. Amen to that. I am very excited to present to you my conversation with Veronica Grant.
1: Hi, Veronica. Hi there, Francesca.
0: Welcome to Dear Franny. I'm really excited to talk to you today.
1: I'm super excited to be here too. So how are you? Huh, that is like, it can be like one of those questions where like, oh, I'm good. Or it also can be like the most loaded question ever.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm asking it really loaded. (laughs) How are you really, Veronica?
1: (laughs) I am. Cause I'm like so many things I'm like really, really good. And I'm also, there's like a low level of stress going through me where, so at the time we were recording this, the coronavirus is like growing. Yes. Yep. (laughs) And normally I wouldn't be super paranoid about it. I don't think I've told you, but I'm actually my first trimester right now. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. Thank you. And so I'm super excited about that. And that just also brings up like, oh crap, like life's about to change drastically soon, but also, I can't find any information or resources like am I part of the vulnerable population or am I not and mm. you know so there's like a little I'm like a little on edge and I and I'm not a germaphobe at all but like I am constantly washing my hands and I like have those wipes that I take everywhere
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's good. I am a germaphobe. So I'm like, you should do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who am I? Like, I'm really not that kind of person at at all. Uh, But I guess I guess now I am.
0: Well, listen, it's better to be safe. You know, it's actually I had a reporter reach out to me from The Washington Post yesterday to talk about dating and coronavirus. And I and when I first saw her email, I was like, I really don't want to talk about this. (laughs) And then but then I was like, you know what? this is top of mind for people. And it's probably going to spread before it stops. And so it's it is going to be more and more of an issue. So I I decided to (laughs) actually give it some thought, but it is concerning. But congratulations on your pregnancy. Thank you. Okay, I'm not a doctor, though. My boyfriend is a scientist. And I have like friends texting me. They're like, what does Dennis say? What my advice would be is, I think you're probably not part of the vulnerable population because coronavirus is respiratory. So I don't think there's any kind of respiratory compromise in, you know, typically in pregnancy. But what I would do if I were you is to look into other coronaviruses because, you know, there's lots of them and they all kind of behave similarly in terms of like transmission and things like that. So see like what the general vulnerable population is for coronavirus most, you know, and then like use that as a guideline. But I think that you're okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know about other coronaviruses. I know the flu, pregnant women can, because I know your immune system goes down or is not as strong, which doesn't make sense to me. I would feel like biology would be like, oh, let's up the woman's immune system. So I don't know. You know, I work from home, so I'm not like always out and about amongst yeah. masses, but.
0: This is your first pregnancy, right? This is your first baby. So that's really exciting and scary, I can imagine. So <laughs> I think that you're, you sound perfectly reasonable in your, in your concern. Well, tell me a little bit about how you came to be a love coach and a life coach. Yeah. So I, I mean, I started
1: actually as a fitness instructor like years and years ago, and I won't give you like all the windy details, but I had struggled with body image and emotional eating and always feeling like I needed to lose the last five pounds. And I, so I was teaching all these fitness classes and my students would come to me and they'd be like, all right, Veronica, work me out hard. I had a brownie last night or something like that. And I would think to myself, Gosh, you know, I used to have that mentality, and it's not a fun place to be. I I wish I could help my students in a more holistic way rather than just be, you know, their spin instructor. And so that's what got me down the path of health coaching, actually. And so I was a health coach for a little bit in the beginning of my business, and it took me, I don't know, maybe six months to realize that I really hated it. I mean, I was passionate, like I've always been passionate about healthy living and healthy eating and exercise, but I actually wasn't that great in coaching people around it. And I was just kind of bored with it. And I worked with a coach, you know, Hillary Rubin. Uh, she like, oh my God, <laughs> she changed my life and my business in so many ways, not in like the same conversation, but like sprinkled in among many conversations with her. I would say things like, yeah, you know, people are coming to me and saying like, I want to lose weight so that I can go out and date. Or people were saying, well, I don't want to have sex with my husband because he's skinnier than me and I feel self-conscious about it. People were saying that kind of stuff to me. And then on a personal level, my friends, were always wanting my two cents and my advice on their relationship or their dating situation or friends would call me and say, hey, Veronica, can you look at my profile for me? And so I would just mention these things in passing to Hillary. And then one day she was like, so Veronica, are we going to follow the breadcrumbs or what? What are you talking about? And she's like, well, you're not really loving the health coaching thing. Like I was struggling to get a blog out. It'd be like Wednesday night. And usually I would send my newsletter and blog out on Thursday morning. I'm like, Oh, crap, I have to write something. And I was and Hillary's like, if you hate writing it that much, people definitely hate reading it. And so she was like, Well, have you ever considered maybe just being like a dating confidence coach, or like a dating health coach or something with dating, you know, playing into what I was already doing. And I was like, that's not a thing. Everything is a thing. And (laughs) now it's amazing. (laughs) Definitely a thing. And I was just like, I don't know, I wasn't really buying it at the beginning. But then I was thinking about it. And and that's when she gave me, that's actually how I found you, because she gave me a list of names of people who were doing this work. And I was like, oh, I guess it is a thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, that's so cool. I love that. Oh, my goodness. It's so funny. It's such a small world. Yeah, Hillary's great. I've known her for, oh, my goodness a uh, long time, probably like 15 years where she was a coach and long before I was a coach. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really, it's great to see how our paths have evolved. So at that time, were you single yourself or had you met your husband yet? We were already living together. We were not
1: even engaged at that point. So yeah, we were together. Okay.
0: All right. Oh, well, that's, I love that story. That's great. Yeah. The breadcrumbs in life, they really will like show up. I, not the same story at all, but similar in that, I had all of these breadcrumbs about coaching and about love. And I just ignored them because I was like, well, everyone's really interested in love and relationships and dating. And everyone gives advice all the time and sets their friends up and writes their profiles. I took it for granted that You know, and I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do with my career? And it's like I had a dating advice blog even like when I was still a lawyer because I like talking about dating and I was still spent years racking my brain like, what should I do? What should I do?
1: So funny. I never, you know, when I was little, I never even thought about being a coach. And yet when I think about it, when I was really young, like probably in middle school and probably high school, too, I had almost every single book of Chicken Soup for the Soul.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Like chicken soup for the teenage soul. I had like chicken soup for the mother's soul, and like you know the cancer survivor soul. Like so fascinated by like personal growth and healing. And I had all these motivational quotes like all over, pasted all over my room. And I had a journal of quotes that I, if I saw like motivational quote or inspirational quote that I really liked, I had a journal where I write it all down. So like it's been in me for a long time. But then when I get to college, I never thought like, what about going down a path of psychology or you know coaching? And that's not really a major in most colleges. But it just never even crossed my mind, you know, into my 20s. It's so weird.
0: No, well, I mean, listen, it it didn't cross my mind until I was in my late 30s. So I mean, that wasn't a thing when I was growing up and thinking about career. So it's certainly, so it's a brave new world. Anybody can be anything. It's amazing. So much opportunity. so true. So I know that today, let's, I, I wanna, I'm excited to talk about the work that, the inner child work that you do. How did that evolve as part of your coaching practice?
1: Yeah. So it evolved from really my own experience, my own realization. So like I said before, I really struggled with body image and emotional eating. And I just had constantly in my head, I needed to lose five more pounds. Like if I lost five more pounds, then I would feel confident and I would feel good in my clothes and any guy would like me. I can even remember one time in college, one of my friends was like, just really, really slender, you know, totally DNA thing, but just like really, really, really thin. And I remember looking at her one time, just like very longingly while she was like talking or something. And I was just like, oh God, she's so skinny. She could have any guy she wanted. And it was actually kind of through my work with Hillary plus doing some of my health coaching certifications. And I also was doing a yoga teacher certification at the time and also (laughs) working with a therapist. So doing all the things. And what I realized was that my story around my struggle with body image and my struggle with relationships was very much intertwined. And it didn't just come out of nowhere. It actually came from came from a few different things. But one, the women in my family were very much into it's better to look a certain way. It's better to be thinner. And so I learned in my head, like, okay, I can get validation. I can get approval if I look a certain way. And so it's very easy. Then when you get that validation or approval to confuse those good feelings you get with love, right? So there was that piece going on. And there was just simply the piece, you know, within my childhood where I just really owned that role of being the, I guess, really the overachiever. Like if I was skinny, if I looked a certain way, if I was getting good grades, I had a role and an identity to fulfill. And it was also, again, it was a way of me feeling good enough. It was a way of me feeling like I could get approval from teachers, from parents, and then it made me feel like, oh, people will like me, people want to be my friend, boys will want to kiss me, you know, this is obviously like middle school or high school talk, but that translated to an adult as not really knowing how to connect with people on a deeper level. And so it's not really that surprising looking back where my poor body image issues really created this condition where I was really good at maybe getting the attention of a guy and maybe it being like a friends with benefits situation or a one night stand situation, but I never wanted that. I never was someone who wanted that. I always wanted to meet my husband since I was very young. My older sister is much older than me and she met her husband when I was in, gosh, probably middle school or high school and that I was like on that path too or I wanted to be on that path. I wasn't able to connect more deeply with these people. And so it wasn't really surprising. Again, looking back at the time, I had no idea why, why I was attracting all of these emotionally unavailable people. And it wasn't until I was able to really unpack my own stuff around my body, how I get love, how I feel good enough. And I was able to source that worthiness and confidence from when until I was able to do that, like nothing shifted on the relationship front. Cause either I had two patterns, either a, I was attracting, you know, those one night stands or friends with benefit situations. Or I would attract someone who actually was like really great and wanted what I wanted, but I wasn't actually, it would be too much. You
0: couldn't receive it.
1: I'd push them away. Once I unpacked all of that for myself, I was like, oh crap. <laughs> I think I'm to something here because a lot of, you know, the relationship and dating advice is like, do this, don't do that. And I think that makes you a really great dater. But I really wanted to focus on like, well, what are the underlying issues that create certain patterns or certain behaviors? And when we can look at that, then we can go to the, okay, do this, don't do that. It's coming from a place where it feels more authentic rather than just trying to simply change your habits without understanding why the habits are there in the first place. Right.
0: Yeah. Going, going to that deeper level. Yeah. That all, Yes. (laughs) Yes to all of that. I can relate to a lot of what you said. And I think that most women can definitely relate to a lot of this and having our self-worth and our view of ourselves be so tied up into just really superficial things and really what we do and how we look and not who we are. So I I can definitely relate to that. So when a client comes to you and, you know, like, what's your process? How do you start to help them really understand what's going on beneath the surface of their dating frustrations and their relationship frustrations? Yeah,
1: so there's a few things, but there's a few lines of questioning, I guess you could say, that I'll start a client with. One thing I want to know is I want to know what the dynamic was like for them growing up, what the relationship was like with their siblings, what the relationship was like with each of their parents, what their parents' relationship was like with each other, and whether or not they had any role within the family, whether or not that role was placed on them by a parent. Like sometimes older siblings, for example, are expected to be kind of like the third parent in a house. Mm -hmm. So whether it's like put on by someone else or something that's more self-imposed like it was for, like it was for me. And so that really helps me to begin to see patterns and how things might be playing out over and over again as an adult. And the other thing that I do is, especially if someone is really feeling it, like if someone's like really in a situation or they're really triggered by a breakup or in a certain situationship, you know, that's current, I'll really actually have them sink into those feelings. And I know it's uncomfortable. People are like, I don't want to feel that. I just want it to go away. But if I can actually have them sit with that sadness or that feeling of not feeling good enough or whatever it is, then I can say, okay, so what does this remind you of? Or how old do you feel? And A lot of times those questions will then often lead back to, well, this feels like the time that, you know, my dad just never gave me any attention growing up. He just totally ignored me or whatever, you know, that's a very generalized example, but then we can just begin to connect the dots. So at the very beginning, all we're trying to do is just build awareness and connect the dots as to why someone's doing something or why they're attracting a certain kind of person. I come from the belief that human behavior is completely predictable. I don't usually speak in absolutes, so, okay, fine, I'm sure there's something that's maybe not explainable or predictable, but for the most part, I think human behavior is predictable, and when we can understand why we're attracting someone, then I think a that alone can create so much healing because you're like, oh my God, I'm not crazy or there's not something wrong with me. It's just that I'm carrying out this old habit, this old pattern that I learned from when I was five or 10 or whatever, and all I have to do is just heal that wound that created the habit and shift the habit. Now I'm saying all I have to do, it's not rocket science, but it also takes time and it takes work. It's so doable. It's so doable. One thing I will just say that I know comes up a lot with this is sometimes women will say, well, you know, Veronica had a really happy childhood or my parents, you know aren't divorced or there wasn't abuse or addiction or trauma or anything like that growing up and because sometimes if that happened in your childhood it can be really I shouldn't say easy but at least easier to connect the dots because it can just feel more obvious and if that's the case then yeah you might have an easier time connecting the dots although you might have more on the healing front to do. For someone like me like I grew up in a comfortable, upper-middle-class, you know, household. It wasn't like there was ever a question of whether or not there'd be food on the table. My parents did actually get divorced, but not until my 20s, so it wasn't like I was having to go through that when I was younger, you know, but that doesn't mean we... As humans, we all need to feel love, safety, and belonging. And that can get taken away or shattered or, you know, not on steady footing. And that happens all walks of life. And it doesn't have to be like this big traumatic thing. It can just be a little thing of like, you know, your mom just not being super affectionate with you. Or I thought I received love by making good grades and being skinny. It can be things that feel non-consequential or even in some cases it feels like not a big deal, but it can very much affect how we view the world, men, women, love, relationships, all of those things.
0: Yeah, well, I definitely, first of all, I don't think there's anyone who escapes childhood without trauma. I don't care how amazing and loving your family was. I don't care, you know, money doesn't insulate you from trauma. Having, you know, a two-parent household doesn't insulate you from trauma. You know, not being abused doesn't insulate you from trauma. So, you know, we all have that trauma to deal with. And I certainly, you know, see that with my clients who have so many different backgrounds and, you know, everybody still has their, we all still have our challenges um, and things that we need to unblock and to come to terms with and to heal. So it sounds, you know, listening to you talk, it's, you know, I obviously like in my work, I help my clients, you know, overcome those blocks and those old beliefs, but I don't focus as much as it sounds like you do on talking extensively about childhood. It sounds to me almost like therapy. So how do you kind of, address that how do you see what you do with your clients different than therapy
1: yeah so you know it's it's hard to speak in generalized terms about therapy because i think therapy is it's just like coaching like it can be a totally different experience based on the coach and i think for therapy and counseling it can be the exact same thing even though we definitely talk about inner child and childhood we actually don't beyond the first session possibly first two sessions we actually don't spend that much time there so what i end up doing i'll give you an example so after I get to know kind of their background and their childhood and mom and dad and siblings and all that kind of stuff, let's say a month later they're on a date or they're they're texting some guy or whatever, and I don't know, there's just some question about the texting situation <laughs> or whatever. They might send me a screenshot and say, oh gosh, Veronica, like, I don't know what to do or what do you think about this or how should I respond or whatever. And so what I would do in that moment is I would tie it back to their inner child. I would say something like, okay, well, how does this feel? Does this make you feel anxious? Does it make you feel sad? Does it make you feel alone? Does it make you feel not good enough? And they might, okay, it makes me feel X, Y, Z. And I'll be like, okay, great. So what does that remind you of? well, this just reminds me of that same old thing that always happened with my dad. I'm like, okay, great. And so from there, then we can shift the behavior because now we've established that this behavior or this situation reminds you of the situation with your dad. And so instead of playing an old habit of maybe being pleasing or trying to accommodate the other person or whatever the situation is, then instead we can say, okay, that's the habit or that's the thing that you know, 10-year-old Betty Sue or whatever would do, but what can 40-year-old or 30-year-old or however old Betty Sue, what what can she do in this situation? Because this isn't her dad's house or she's not, she doesn't have to play out this old thing. So even though I definitely have an idea of like what might be the underlying thing around their limiting beliefs or their fears or their core wounds, I always bring it to the present time so that they can begin to see why they're doing the thing they're doing and they can see how they're actually playing out an old habit or an old wound or whatever it is. And then from there, make a conscious choice to take another action because most of our actions are subconscious. Like I've heard 90%, 89%, 95%, who knows, but most of our actions are unconscious. And so when we can then begin to actually say, okay, this is a time where I'm actually like, It's like a pattern, it's literally a pattern interrupter. And then you can just make that conscious decision to do something different over time that ultimately becomes the the new habit. And I don't think most therapy does that. Like therapy would just like hang out in the past and just like, again, this is like more about talking about talk therapy and not other kinds of therapy, but talk therapy would just like talk and talk and talk. And, you know, that was my experience with therapy. And it was really, really helpful because I never understood what, <laughs> why I was doing what I was doing or why I believed what I believed. But then, you know, there was something lacking and it was really with my coaching that helped me to, okay, this is how I'm going to actually change it in present time.
0: Mm-hmm. So do people generally coming to you saying, okay, I've got these patterns. I know I have these blocks and I want to work through it. Or do people generally come to you saying, you know, I just ready to find love. And then as you start working with them and talking to them, I mean, and I'm sure it doesn't take you long to see the blocks, but I guess how much are people coming to you kind of signing up for doing this deeper inner child work? versus people are coming to you just like, okay, you're a love coach, you can help me find love, let's do it. And then they get into it and they're like, oh wow, there's so much more going on here than I than I realized. I thought this was just about you know online dating, sucking or something like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I definitely have those people for sure in my world. And for, for those women, I definitely recommend they listen to my podcast first because in my podcast, I actually bring on both clients and also women from the community where I coach them through you know this kind of work, like taking their inner child and then applying to how it might play out or how they might change something in their present day life. So yeah, I would say most of my clients, you know, they have an awareness that we're going to go deep because, you know, earlier on in my coaching, when I was feeling less confident as a coach and also less confident in my process, I wasn't, I guess you could say vetting as well. And I definitely had clients that were like, okay, I want to be married yesterday or whatever. I just want to talk about online dating and figure out some strategies there. And I love talking about online dating. I mean, I know you have a lot of great strategies for online dating. I have a lot of great strategies like I think there's really things that you can do differently that that can shift the experience there but for me like I don't think it's going to be I don't think it would be a good experience because for me because I would feel frustrated I wouldn't feel like I'm able to help the client as much as they really want or in the ways they want and Mm -hmm. the client would feel frustrated because they're like I'm not, I don't want to talk about my childhood or whatever, you know, so I try to do the vetting process just because I think it just is better for everyone. And, you know, I mean, at this point, you know, again, because of my podcast, and that's where most of my community comes in through, they'll, they'll have an idea. And even if they have like no clue, if they've never had therapy, or if they've never done any kind of inner child work, or have never thought about core wounds, or their patterns, or why they're there, at least they're like, okay, this sounds scary as hell. But ready to do it. So I'll, that's fine. I, I, I can handle that. But if I don't want to surprise someone and be like, OK, I know you want to talk about online dating, but surprise,
0: we're going to talk about your childhood <laughs> and your dad. And they're like, what the hell?
1: <laughs> and actually, you know, during, you know, initial consult that you know I'm sure you have with your clients that I have with my clients, I actually say, like, just so you know, you know, we're going to this is what we're going to do, especially towards the beginning of our time together, because I think it's important that this does not mean you can't ask me questions about texting or a situationship that comes up when you're dating someone or, you know, you're more than welcome to send me your profile and whatever, but like we're also gonna be at least starting here. And by the time they're on the phone with me, you know, they're like, Yeah, yeah, that's fine, that's what I wanna do. But <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, well, I, it's funny. I totally relate to that too, in terms of like when you're starting your practice and you're you you just wanna work with everyone and think you can work with everyone. And then you know, over time you realize you're like, oh, I can't work with everyone. That, you know, I'm actually the right coach for this person, for these issues, for this situation. So I relate to that as well. And like you, I think now, like when people come to me and they're just all about tactics and that's all they wanna talk about, like I'm definitely not the coach for them. I totally relate to that so what would you say like okay so like what's an example if I came to you as a client and you know let's say that I was single and frustrated and you know just trying to figure out what's really going on here like what's an example of like walk me through it let's pretend if you don't mind that I'm coming to you as a potential client and you know I'll just go back to myself at let's see age 30. (laughs) I'll try to put myself in that mindset. (laughs) I was a hot mess (laughs) at that time. so. (laughs) So I probably would have come to you saying something like, you know, I all the guys that I meet, they all think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread until they don't. And I just feel like I just keep on ending up getting my heart broken by somebody who previously thought I was, you know, amazing.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if you want to like divulge all your childhood details here on your podcast. That's where I would start. I would I would say like, you know, a lot of times when those kinds of situations happen or when I have clients that are telling me like, oh, you know, I I track someone and they seem like really great and we hit it off. And then it just it ends faster than I thought it was going to start or whatever. I mean, again, like, It depends on what exactly was going on in your childhood or what was going on in the client's childhood, you know, if if that's their situation as well. But a lot of times in those kinds of situations, what I actually end up seeing is, is we probably had some sort of, not abandonment, but not feeling that love, safety or belonging from mom or dad in whatever reason or for whatever reason, and it could have been a small capacity or a big capacity or whatever was going on in, in their childhood. And ultimately what ends up going on without that core wound being healed, we look for people who remind us of our parents. And we do that again, we do that all unconsciously. So if you're playing out like this pattern of someone being attracted to you, and then all of a sudden they're not, there's a good chance that that might've been a dynamic for you and some level growing up it may not have been with your parents it might have been like a bullying situation or something with siblings or friends or whatever but you know parents could have been perpetuating something like that even if it didn't directly come from parents because maybe you didn't tell your parents about it and then you felt like it was their fault because they weren't helping you you know what i mean yeah totally yeah i don't know i don't know that it totally answers your question but no no it's
0: yeah it's i'll just i, I don't mind sharing i'm always sharing about my <laughs> my personal life on this podcast so i would say that you know i First of all, I feel I really did like hit the parent jackpot in that, you know, my parents, they loved each other very much, and that was never in doubt. They loved their children very much, and they were both very devoted to the family in general. But I am the youngest of three, and my older brother, who he since passed away, but he was two years older than me, and he had special needs. And as a result of that, a lot of our family really revolved around him and caring for him. and And my mother even apologized to me as an adult And, you know, said to me, you know, she's like, I we really made a conscious choice that my brother's name was Mark. He needed us more than you did. Like you were just born like capable. You were just like born with like, you know, all this spirit and spunk. And like I was talking before my brother was, you know, and he was two years older than me. And I was just like this, whatever, you know, very spirited, very capable kid and so they were like okay she doesn't need us as much as he needs us so and that was really helpful to me and i was like so grateful for her for like saying that because i was like oh i feel like that explains so much (laughs) of like this feeling because on the one hand i'm like i and it's not like i never ever doubted that my parents loved me and that they really like saw me for who i was and accepted me for who i was and so i was and i remember even having friends like you know my house was kind of like a sanctuary for a lot of my friends when I was growing up. And so I had a lot of friends who would just like, they would spend the night all the time. And, you know, my parents were always very welcoming of them and everything. And and they would say like, I don't understand like why you have any problems, <laughs> you know, like kind of like, you know, like as we got older and I like had these struggles with guys are like, why do you, you had like the greatest dad and like your parents love each other. Like what, like, what's your problem? And I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't get it. So it was very, it was very confusing. And I think, you know, kind of what you were saying about you, it's like when you you don't have a like a really traumatic situation because even with my brother i mean i knew that it was something that was like obviously challenging but it didn't feel like trauma. Like, it's not something that I grew up saying, like, I had this, like, you know, my brother had special needs. And so we had to do all this family therapy and everything revolved around him. And like, I didn't have that story consciously, you know, but looking back on it, I'm like, oh, of course, like as a little kid, you don't understand that, you know, (laughs) your parents are giving more attention to, you know, someone else that can't not have an effect on you and how you view yourself.
1: Totally. Yeah. You know, like I would ask, like, what was the story that you told yourself about that, like not like as an adult, you looking back, like what was the story you told yourself, but like as you know, stepping into your five-year-old shoes or your 10-year-old shoes or whatever age, you know, what's the story you told yourself? Because then you can begin to look and see patterns because you know, I don't know exactly what the story was you told yourself, but maybe there was something around the lines of, you know, my needs aren't as important or I should be able to take care of myself or I should be able to do this on my own or whatever it was. And those kinds of stories can definitely play out in adulthood in relationships because it can create maybe some pleasing mentality or it can create some patterns around not honoring boundaries and just like letting the other person's needs or whatever be greater than yours, or it can play out this whole like, oh well, I don't need you thing or what, I mean, there's so many ways it totally. could play out. But I think, yeah, once you kind of have a sense of, okay, this probably is creating some stuff in my adulthood, then to really understand like what the story is. Because one thing I always tell my clients is there's what's happened, and then there's a story you tell yourself. And what's happened, I mean, it matters, because that's what ultimately informs the story, but it doesn't matter that you can't get it exactly correct, or if you don't exactly remember the details, because what matters and what created the story because it ultimately creates the lens in which you see everything, you know, including yourself, man, love, relationships, is what the story you told yourself. And again, not the story you told yourself as an adult who has perspective, and but, but as the 10-year-old self, like what was she telling herself? Because that created a lot of the unconscious behaviors.
0: Yeah, I think I, well, first of all, it made me resent my brother a lot. So that, that was part of the story that I, I think I consciously as a child blamed him more than I blamed anyone else. But then also, I think for me, the story was, and I do think that one of the good things, because there's always, you know, all of our experiences make us who we are, is I definitely felt like, I remember feeling as a kid, kind of just this general feeling that I, I don't want to say that I had to do everything for myself, because that certainly wasn't the case, because I actually, my parents were still very caretaking, um, so it's, it wasn't like I, was, I had to fend for myself. I never had to fend for myself, like, but I definitely felt like it's up to me to like, make my life what I want it to be. I don't know if I, if like, like I definitely had this feeling of like, I can't rely on other people to give me the life that I want. On the one hand, it made me very independent, it made me very, you know, self reliant, it made me very kind of proactive about figuring out like what I want and making that happen. But I, I think with relationships, it also just really stopped me from being vulnerable and just made me very protective of myself. Like I wanted that connection. I wanted that intimacy. I wanted that love. But it's also like, but I don't need you, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So don't get it twisted. Like, (laughs) you know, if you do anything I don't like, like, I am out of here, (laughs) you know? (laughs) That was a big issue for me for a long time.
1: Totally. Yeah. And one thing I would say to that for anyone, you know, listening, because I know you said your mom later apologized, which is amazing that you have that kind of relationship with your with your mom now. But a lot of times I'll hear like, well, I have a really good relationship with my parents now or like, oh, I'm over that. Like it was so long ago. And it's really important to separate your adult self from your inner child self. Because again, your adult self has perspective, your adult self knows that your parents are just simply human. And because they're human, they're imperfect. And they made mistakes or whatever whatever, did things maybe differently than you would, or, you know, whatever. And I think that's part of the healing process, you know, to look at it back from an adult and like have some perspective and to understand if you have a kind of relationship where you can have a healing conversation with mom or dad or whoever the adult was without re-harming, right? So Mm -hmm. there's that capability in the relationship, but it's also important to go back and, you know, I talk about like reparenting the the little girl, the five-year-old, 10-year-old, whatever, because again, that's where the unconscious, like deeper behaviors come from that we don't always have so much awareness over. So I just wanted to mention that.
0: I had like almost this exact same conversation with a client of mine yesterday, honestly, who had a lot of, not similar to me, but just just had things that happen in her childhood that had absolutely impacted her and continued to impact her in terms of relationships. And she's like, no, it's fine, I'm over it. You know, I'm like, well, let's talk about this. You know, and like you get to like feel sad about that and to heal that, like it's, you know, it's, anyway. So yes, what you said. <laughs> so I guess a parting question I have, I mean, cause we could totally talk about this all day. But for those who are listening and who are thinking like, "Mm, I kind of suspected that there's some stuff going on that's a little bit deeper and that, you know, maybe that's unresolved. What is your advice for a good starting point? Is it listening to your podcast? Is it asking themselves some questions? What's a good starting point for people?
1: Well, I think my podcast can, you know, really help because when you listen to other women being coached and. I mean, not everyone's going to have your exact situation, probably no one's going to have your exact situation, it helps you to see for yourself and begin to connect some dots. So I think that's a great starting place. And, and that will also I mean, the questions that I mentioned earlier, like, what does this remind me of? How old do I feel, you know, and really reflecting on your relationship with your mom and dad and their relationship with each other In some situations, I think those are great starting points. I also recommend to not you know, figure this out alone, especially once you get to the healing process and you're like, okay, I think I have some awareness now, but now what do I do? And also that can bring up some really challenging, you know, emotions. So, you know, whether it's a therapist or a coach or whatever, sometimes thinking that we can figure it out by ourselves often plays into an old mindset of like, I can figure this out by myself. I don't need anyone. Like, it's just another way that we build up those walls unconsciously, Mm -hmm. um, which is a lot of the patterns ultimately come down to, you know, when it comes to dating is unconsciously putting around, putting up these walls around us, even though we intellectually want a relationship emotionally. We're like, nope, no one's coming in here, right? So I think just understanding that you don't have to, to do it alone and you can, you know, they're perfectly valid and reasonable explanations for what you're going through. And it's not because you're crazy or because you're broken or because you need to be fixed or because love isn't meant for you or any of those other stories that I know a lot of women tell themselves. So I think the sooner that you can just, it doesn't have to take forever too. Like
0: That was my next question. case people are listening, they're like, oh God, this sounds like a lot. This sounds like really heavy and I am just not, I don't, I just don't want to spend months of my life rehashing My childhood trauma.
1: I think a lot of, so my clients will tell me that that's what therapy was like for them. And again, like that's totally generalized. Every therapist is different, there's different kinds of therapy. But a lot of the clients that I do tend to attract are people who have been to therapy and they're like, yeah, I've like rehashed my whole entire life and I'm still attracting assholes or
0: whatever. Yes. I've heard that a lot as well. (laughs) And I
1: think that's because there isn't the practical application to, you know, if we're going to talk about childhood and we're going to talk about emotions and whatever, you know, I'm still very much a Capricorn, like for anyone who's into astrology, like I'm not like some Pisces cancer, like, like, like bask in our emotions.
0: I don't know enough about astrology to really understand these references.
1: I'm still like, okay, let's make it real. Let's make it, you know, let's make it practical, you know, and and in terms of like timeline, the truth is, is that it does differ from person to person. Like some people, it's not that necessarily they had like, you know, particularly traumatic past. It's just that it takes them a while to change the habits or to process what is going on or what happened, you know, but I've had clients who've actually met somebody while working together. And I tend to work with clients anywhere between four and eight months generally. So that doesn't mean everyone, it happens that fast. But like I said, like we typically do some of this deeper work, definitely the first session, maybe the second session, just depending on what came up in the first session. But then we're immediately immediately applying it to real life. Because I think that if you only hang out in like the emotional or the spiritual realm or whatever, then it's just like you start floating off into the ethers and we have to like pull you back down to earth.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I want to ask you a question. It's probably not, feel free to decline (laughs) answering this question, but I guess what is the issue or how would you kind of characterize the most challenging issue. Because obviously there's degrees, right? There's degrees of trauma, there's degrees of blocks. I mean, there's some people like I've literally had a conversation because, you know, I do, I offer, you know, free discovery calls with people, which I'm sure you do too. And I've had a situation where I'll have one conversation with someone and, you know, I'll, she'll have an aha, like some breakthrough, like, oh my God, that's why I do that. Or that's why I'm attracted to guys like that. And then we don't actually wind up working together. And then I've gotten emails from someone. I'll be like, hey, don't know if you remember me. We spoke like a year and a half ago. Just want to let you know that conversation was so helpful. And I'm actually, you know, engaged now to this amazing man. I just want to thank you for like, and I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) like that's amazing. I'm like, wow, that would be great if it was always that easy. (laughs) Right. But then other people, obviously, you know, the issues are deeper or their ability to get to that point of like, oh, now I have the clarity and now I have that confidence to move forward versus people who are like, this is just totally overwhelming. So I guess, what do you see as the most challenging love block to overcome?
1: so i have data on this
0: (laughs) okay Ooh, great i love data
1: (laughs) i mean it's my own personal data i can't say it's like scientifically like you know collected in an appropriate way but my quiz is basically about like what's your number one love block and i would say i don't have the numbers right in front of me but the pleaser by far the the biggest block i see and it's really not surprising because i think that girls are raised to look pretty or be pretty or be girl-like or be accommodating or pleasing or whatever. And then that just and manifests itself in different ways as the girl gets older and becomes a preteen or a teenager or whatever. And then so I think that there's a lot of societal impact on just being pleasing and accommodating. And oh, sure, there's another word I'm looking for uh, palatable. That's the word palatable to, oh, to men
0: palatable. That's yeah, that's a good word. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so I think that can happen a lot. But then also, in childhood again when we're talking about inner child stuff a lot of times the pleasing habits can be exacerbated because let's say one of your parents had a really bad temper or something and so you just learned to walk on eggshells because if you didn't say what you really wanted or if you didn't say what you need or you didn't say how you really felt then you could keep you know the peace the peace you Mm -hmm. know relatively well and so again that's going to create some pleasing habits and there's all sorts of various situations where being a pleaser Keeps things better. Right. And so it's not that, like, if you identify as being a people pleaser or, or you know you have people pleasing tendencies, this is not an opportunity to beat yourself up and be like, oh, God, I need to stop pleasing. But like, it's a tool that you learn. And when you're 10 years old, most of us can't just be like, all right, this kind of sucks. I'm just going to get a job, get my own place. Like, you have to kind of just deal with it. And, and so you did the best you could with the tools and knowledge you had at the time. And if what you you know the habits that you created from that experience was being a pleaser like yeah that's going to probably negatively impact your life as an adult until you can, you know, work with that and heal it. However, like it could have been a lot worse, right? Like you could have also used drugs or alcohol to deal with it. And maybe you did at some point, but the point is is that you were doing the best you could and you were just doing what you needed to do in order to emotionally survive. And now you're just at a different place in your life and it's time to just have it, create new habits. And that's really ultimately all it becomes. So I know it kind of like went around about, but definitely the pleasing is the biggest. Thing I see
0: oh, that's interesting. I see a lot of that as well, though. I would say that, I mean, I guess it's all just the same you use the lens of inner child. And for me, I more um, use the lens of worthiness, but of course they're so related because that's where our real belief and our worthiness gets set, right? And then our, the rest of our lives is either is either healing that and rewriting that narrative, or, or if you're lucky enough to like, you know, really have a strong foundation there, then great for you. But I think that for me, I see more uh, definitely The pleasing is huge, huge, huge for women in general. And it's like it turns into like perfectionism. And then there's like that translates into like professional and overworking and trying to do everything and be superwoman and all of that. But I see a lot of just women who... And I, and not to leave men out of this, too, because I do work with, with some men, though I work with majority women, I work with men as well. And I see this in them as well, um, though I don't think it's as systemic for for men as it is for women, the pleasing. But I also I think it's more about just not feeling worthy of people, because I guess when I think of pleasing, I almost, I think of almost a person who's like, it's okay that you let me down. It's okay that you didn't show up. And like, it's, you're letting people treat you badly and you're being okay with it. I mean, not really okay with it, but you're pretending to be okay with it. And I don't, and it's not that I see that so much. I just see people getting stuck in these situations where it's like, why is everyone always letting me down? Like, why am I always being disrespected? Or like, why are people always treating me with so much less consideration than I treat them, you know so I think it is it's related, but I think it just kind of shows up a little bit differently. Does that make sense? but it's all very fascinating. That is one thing I will say. I'm very glad that I never really I've never been a huge people pleaser.
1: <laughs> I actually haven't either and, and and I think we all to some degree have some pleasing tendencies and and sometimes it's helpful, right like like it's not necessarily all bad nothing's oh no or, yeah nothing's yeah, black yeah, or white yeah. but yeah, I would say my you know one of my biggest blocks was just like the scarcity like i like i'm getting too old or there's not enough time like i just need to know like i was that girl like i would go on a first date with someone and i'd be like in my head like okay i'm not asking this guy to like marry me i just want to know if he can like see something serious potentially
0: <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah and and so would you say something to him
1: Um, Probably. Yeah. I mean, and that makes a lot of sense. Right. Because like when I was little, if I I could control what I was eating and then that would control my body size, I could control making good grades and that controlled how I felt about myself and my ability to feel worthy and good enough. And so it's not surprising that then I become an adult without actually addressing that ever. I'm now dating and I'm like, I need to control everything
0: the only way to feel good enough and to feel safe and all those things. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so fascinating. We are fascinating. Um, (laughs) Well, this is great conversation that I could talk to you all day. Um, (laughs) But I obviously want to respect your time. And I do have one last question for you. Well, two, but one is just like about what you're doing and how people can reach you. But the other question is, if you had a megaphone that was loud enough for the whole world to hear and you could send out one message about love what would that be?
1: Oh gosh, I think it would be, you don't have to play by
0: the rules. Mmm. ooh, I like that. The rebel in me likes that.
1: Because <laughs> I find even like women who are really successful in their careers or have lots of friends or whatever, and all around seem really have it together in their life and confident. It's like they get into dating and it's like the three hour rule or like the three day rule mm. or like whatever, or mm-hmm. like I can't act like I'm excited or I, they need to contact me first or whatever. And it's like you can play that game if you want, but like, remember, let's who made up these rules? Like, it wasn't women <laughs> who made up
0: these rules. Yeah.
1: They're all coming from like, this patriarchal notion of women having to be palatable. So like you can play by those rules if you want, or you can make up
0: your own rules. Yeah, no, I love that. Well, and I think also if women or or not just women, I keep on saying women, if people in this day and age could learn to write their own rules that are focused on love, Connection, like true intimacy, that would just make the world a better place. And then a lot of the things that people drive themselves crazy with, you know, like, oh, well, if I'm with you know, the man has to make more money and be taller and, you know, all of these things that are really holdovers from a different time. There are a lot of people who would be able to find love a lot easier if they could let go of some of that stuff. So, so I love that answer. Thank you so much. (laughs) And I am absolutely going to be linking to, you know, your website and to your podcast and all of that in the show notes. But is there anything in particular that you want to draw attention to?
1: Yeah, so I mentioned my podcast earlier. So if anyone's interested in listening to what the inner child coaching is like, um, my podcast is called Love Life Connection. And you can listen to it probably wherever you're listening to this podcast. So (laughs) Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, everywhere all the places. (laughs) And, and then I have a workshop where I talk a little bit more about inner child work. So if you're kind of curious, it's veronicagrant.com forward slash workshop. So you can go check that out. And then I know you have the Instagram link, but send me a DM or let me know if you have any questions. I'm very active in the DM. So feel free to ask away.
0: All right, slide into Veronica's DMs, everyone. (laughs) And be sure to check out her podcast. So make sure you check out the show notes for links to everything that she just mentioned and a little bit more. Thank you so much, Veronica. It's been great having you on the show. I appreciate you. Thanks so much. This has been really fun. And there you have it, my conversation with Veronica. I hope that you enjoyed it. Please be sure to check the show notes as always for links to Veronica's website and to her podcast and to her social media. Be sure to connect with her. And you can also connect with me. In the show notes, you will find links to my social media. I'm at Dear Franny. Podcast is at Dear Franny Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I'm at Dear Franny on everything, but mostly Instagram and Facebook and Twitter these days. And I also wanted to make sure for those of you who are looking for some extra sport at this time, I am still offering my pay what you can one hour coaching sessions. There's also a link in the show notes to sign up for one of those. And those are for you if you are struggling with dating or with business or how to make money, what your next career move is, and you want to have a one hour brainstorming session with me. I've been doing these now for a few weeks and they're going really well. I'm getting really good feedback and they're fun for me to do as well. So if you are interested in getting that one hour brainstorming session go ahead and sign up for a pay what you can coaching session and if you are interested in going deeper and actually doing some of the work that actually we talked about in this podcast and other and even more and even better and even more fun <laughs> um, then I invite you to book a free coaching discovery session with me which you can also find a link to in the show notes. So I thank you very much for listening. I thank you for those who have taken the time to rate the show five stars Stars and to review the show and to subscribe to the show. I appreciate you. I am sending you love and I am sending you a big hug and lots of wishes for your health and for your safety and for your connectedness at this time. Oh, and one more thing I forgot to mention. I am also doing virtual sound baths on Instagram, on my Instagram live on Sundays. So if you're interested in experiencing a virtual sound bath and having just about, you know, between 30 and 40 minutes of relaxation relaxation. relaxation and just to take your mind off of everything that's going on and to have an open hearted relaxation experience, then follow me at Dear Franny on Instagram and you will be able to join the sound bath. Okay, thank you. That's it. Have a beautiful day. Till next time.